Hey, it's Jess DeMassa. Thanks for listening to this episode of WTF Health. All this talk about the future of health is brought to you in part by our sponsors, Transparent, OneDrop, Wheel, Pfizer, Vita Health, Newtopia, 120 over 80 marketing and Bayer G4A. And don't forget, if you want to check out the video version of this interview, head on over to my YouTube channel. That's at youtube.com slash WTF health. Hey, everybody, it's Jessica DeMassa with What's the Future Health? I am talking to the who's who of health tech and healthcare innovation. And today we are talking to arguably the hottest startup in the Medicaid space. Yes, that's right. You're going to meet City Block Health. And here to tell us all about that business is its co-founder and president, Dr. Toyan Ajayi. It's so good to have you here. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. So am I, because I don't think that enough people fully understand the types of disruptive thinking that can be brought into the Medicaid space to help with some of these low-income, underserved patients that are you know, really struggling to find the right care or struggling to find good care. So I want to walk through your business model because this business model has gotten not only a lot of attention, but also a lot of funding. And so to catch everybody up on that real quick, I just want to make sure you guys know, I mean, CityBlock, you've raised almost $500 million to date, which hasn't been quite so long. Uh, your last round, Series C, had an extension put into it by Tiger Global. That was in March. That extension was an additional $192 million on top of the beginning of that Series C round. That was $160 in December. You guys are valued at over a billion dollars at this point. So, Toyin, I want to hear about this model, and I want to start because it's B2B to C. And I want to start with the B2B part first and then dive into the B2C part. So, how do you guys work with these health plans that are offering managed Medicaid to, to this particular patient population. Start there. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for the tee up. Um, so so as, as your viewers, your audience probably knows, um, there are tens of millions of people in this country across all 50 states who qualify for Medicaid health insurance. That's provided to people who fall below a certain threshold for income or people who have disabilities or both. Um, And typically what these states often do is that they then contract out administration of the Medicaid benefit to private insurers. Um, This ranges from the large national insurers that are household names to smaller community-based and nonprofit health plans. And these these insurers, these managed Medicaid organizations, have risk for the population that um, that they're covering. Those members, many of them, are folks who are really struggling, as you described, to get their daily needs met. They're struggling with not only the medical issues that they're struggling with, they're also struggling with the sequelae of social challenges, lack of access to food or housing or transportation. And so what CityBlock does is we partner, we contract with these managed care organizations. We together identify a cohort of their highest risk rising risk individuals in their population, folks for whom we really believe we can make a difference. And we enter into a contract with them that allows us to take financial risk as well as um, clinical accountability for providing 
the entire suite of services that these individuals need in order to stay healthy in the community and out of the hospital. So that's the, the sort of the B2B model. Um, we, we enter into these long-term contracts with payers um, that allow us to take financial risk in a, in a value-based model of care, um, really, really supporting the, the, the population that we've identified together. Okay, so it's like you guys are, you know, with this population of patients that you've contracted with, it's like you are going to make a difference in terms of the, the health outcomes and the cost of the care delivered to that patient. And that's how you guys get paid by the insurance company you've contracted with. Is that right? Correct. Awesome. Okay. I think that's really an interesting model because there's a, not a lot of not a lot of businesses that go at risk like that. Now I want to hear about the patient side of this. So you guys have interjected yourself in between a health plan that's managing this population. You've got that little cohort of, of members that you are responsible for. Tell us about that cohort of members and then the types of things that you guys are providing to them because this is cool. It's hybrid to me in like two different ways. So it's like hybrid in the sense of care and also like these social type services, like you mentioned. So like housing, I saw sometimes food, like things like that. And then it's also hybrid in the sense that it's not just in person. It's not just in, uh, not just virtual and it, but it's also in the home. So it's like modality wise, you're hybrid. And then in terms of the types of services you're providing hybrid there as well. So talk a little bit more about that side of the business for me. Sure. I think it's the most important place to start is really with who these people are. Right. And okay. so you know, I'm a, I'm a physician, I'm a family doc, I trained in Boston, um, started my career in community health centers, um, and really, honestly, the genesis for CityBlock was born out of that experience of being a physician, um, trying my darndest with all of the best intentions in, uh, in a community health center environment that was in a fee-for-service structure um, to care for the population that had been assigned to me. And so what happens for many of these members, these, that's what we call the patients whom we serve, um, they're assigned to a doctor, they often have a primary care physician who's on their insurance card. But if that person is anything like me, as I was when I was practicing in the clinic, um, we, we're constrained by what we can do within a fee-for-service environment. So I typically would have, you know, 20, 25 patients a day to see. Um, I typically couldn't do home visits. Um, uh, it's very hard to follow up with what's going on with people when they're not in front of you in the traditional model. Um, and so what we find is that when we identify the highest risk individuals, patients who have high um, social needs, often struggling with mental health, maybe with a substance use challenge, um, who have physical health needs, um, they may have a, a physical PCP's name on their list, the primary care doctor's name on their list, on their card, but they may not have seen that person for weeks, months. Um, they may be using the emergency room for their care because it's the most convenient place to go um, because they, they, they know they'll be treated, at least seen and treated um, whenever they have issues. And so we, um, we receive an assignment of those people based on, on the way that we contract. So we're identifying these individuals in the data but that means nothing until you can find that person in real life, right? And so the B to C part of the business, as you described, is we're now at financial risk for all of those individuals. And we're also at risk for making sure that their quality outcomes are exceptional. So we have to go find them. And finding individuals is not as easy as picking no. up the phone call. You know, what if, if a lot of these folks... Um, struggle with housing um, uh, insufficiency, with marginalized housing, they're moving around a lot, say their address is no longer the address where they live, maybe they didn't have enough money to pay their phone bill and their cell phone's been cut off. You actually have to go physically find individuals across any market in which we're present. Um, and then what we know, and we see this a lot, and we've heard this talked about a lot um, through the COVID pandemic, 
a lot of the most marginalized populations have legitimate reasons to be mistrustful of the healthcare system. So we could find you physically, but you may want nothing to do with us because your last experience with healthcare didn't leave you feeling good, didn't leave you feeling valued or dignified or um, worth, or, or that you wanted to spend your time in that way in the future. And so we have to really embark on work of building trust and building meaningful relationships with these individuals so we can start to understand what matters for them. Um, we need to understand not just what is the hospital claim say, what is your diagnosis in the electronic health record, but how do you feel about your life? What are your goals? Um, who's in your family network? Do you have enough food to eat? Where did you sleep last night? Did you experience trauma growing up as a child? All of these things, as we know, deeply impact our health outcomes, but typically healthcare, traditional healthcare isn't interested in this. Um, so we find folks, we build those trusted relationships that meaningfully engage them. We use those relationships to earn the right to understand what matters to them. And then we deliver our care model as you described this hybrid model of care that intervenes around physical health and mental health and social health. Um, and where we deliver primary care, behavioral health um, services, as well as social care in the community, really meeting people wherever they are. So in their homes, um, in community centers, in our physical hubs, those are the clinics that we operate virtually, whatever it takes to meet people where they are and make sure that we smooth out their experience of both healthcare and the social services system and environment so that we can drive better outcomes with them. I love that. And I just, as you're talking to me, I'm thinking to myself like, that, what's remarkable about this, I love the insight that you gleaned from your early days in Boston working with this population. And it's like, I would love to hear a little bit more about how you build trust. Because I mean, this is like historically like a marginalized group of people. They, they, their encounters with the healthcare system have probably not been positive, like you've said. And then now here you guys have gone out and like hunted them down. And it's like, how do you, how do you build that trust? Like, no, really, we're here to help. And then you're asking, I think also some very deeply personal questions. So it's like, how do you, how do you start building that trust? And then how do you scale that? Yeah, it's such a great question. Um, um, so the first thing that you have to do is, is show up for people. So trust, I, I, I don't often go back to the sort of dictionary definition, but trust is such an interesting concept. And right, what does it mean? Trust really means that I believe that you care about me and that you have my best interest at heart and that you will do what you say you're going to do. And you can think, when you think about that definition, you think about all the ways in which our healthcare system isn't trustworthy. All the times you get a phone, a referral to something that doesn't actually work for you. All the times someone says they'll call you back and they never do. All the times if you're our population of folks where you felt like people didn't really see you, didn't really want to hear what was going on for you, thought you were a nuisance, all of that stuff erodes at the trust fabric. And so for us, it's really about showing up humbly, showing up openly, and showing up with people who are um, not bringing any sort of prejudice or pre-baked assumptions about individuals who are relatable and can really follow through on what they say they're going to do. And so we anchor our model in our community health partners. These are people we hire from the communities we serve. Um, they're not um, healthcare workers. They're just people who are tenacious, who are hardworking, who are great listeners, and who will advocate on behalf of the members whom we serve. And they've actually become our entry point into building those trusted relationships because they're able to do so with the time and the energy and the, um, the shared context that's so important in building that trust. And then for us as an organization, we really then focus on building systems that are trustworthy, systems that allow us to repeatedly and effectively follow through on all of the different things that our members tell us that they need and want. 
All right, I want to ask a little bit about that system if I can, because it's like, so I made you come from the B to B to C, right? And now I want to go back in. So in terms of like, this is how you build the trust with a member. And I love hearing all about that, but it's how do you build the trust also, if you could talk a little bit about how you build the trust with the health plan that you're contracted and working with, because this is different for them. I mean, you, you said you're, you're sending people out who are not clinicians to build these relationships with people. With some of the health plans, I know I used to work at a health plan. We were very risk adverse and very nervous about stuff like this. And so you've got to convince some, some, some of your partners um, to, you know, to, to work with you and let you guys be that, you know, mediator in the middle. So how have you done that? How do you convince the health plan to take a risk on city block? Yeah, it's a, I love that question. You know, so similar to you, I, I also kind of came from the health plan world. And so that helps. I know what they're looking at. I know what they, I know what matters to them. Right. And so like everyone in the healthcare system, we're all really trying to do our best by our members. And, um, and I know what it felt like to be the chief medical officer at a plan um, and seeing you know, the list of members and all of their needs and really understanding that there's typically 10% of the population, maybe 15% of the population that seems to drive the majority of the spend, that seems to not be well connected to the type of care services that I desperately want them to have. And I think what the plans see in us is they see not only um, a non-clinician driven social care model, they also see clinical capabilities. And so we have physicians and advanced practice clinicians and nurses and behavioral health specialists and pharmacists all in our team that then intervene with the type of clinical services that we know our members need and want. And so there's the, the model is robust and I think that helps a lot. But the other piece that helps a lot of course in that conversation is we know and the plans know that, that Plans are not optimized for this type of work. Plans are working on a different sort of plane in the different set of uh, competencies. It's really hard to be excellent at contracting a network, growing membership, um, shipping out membership ID cards, paying claims, and also be excellent at providing door-to-door, in-real-time, community-oriented primary care. Like that's really hard. And yeah. they understand that that's not their competency set. They weren't optimized for that. They weren't built for that. But to have a partner who can do that credibly and is also willing to take on the risk for that, um, I think that really gets us into a space where there's there's aligned incentives and alignment around competencies where CityBlock can really offer something to them. Now, I understand you guys have upwards of 75,000 members, right? So, I mean, talk to me, I guess, a little bit about scaling. And you guys are so well-funded right now. I mean, and I've read that you guys are expanding into new markets. I mean, like for, for me and what I've read about you, like famously started in New York City. And it's like you've expanded into other geographies, Boston, DC. You know, how do you, how do you plan on scaling next? I mean, in terms of like looking at new markets, how do you decide what markets to go into? Are there certain hallmarks or characteristics of that market that make it a little bit more attractive to you than than other places. I mean, there are folks, I mean, I, I think I read something like 75 million Americans are on Medicaid. It's not like there's a shortage of people who could use your help. So, I mean, t- tell me, I guess, a little bit about how you're picking where you're going to grow into next. Yeah, I think, I mean, to start, I think the starting point for us is, is exactly that statistic that you threw out. There are tens of millions of people in this country who need and deserve a much, much, much different experience of care. If we're ever going to start to really address the massive health inequities, the disparities, um, and of course the soaring and unsustainable costs of our healthcare system. And so we're like, we're really, really motivated by the idea that that we want to transform the healthcare ecosystem for those who need it the most, um, which means that we, we're um, focused on scaling and growing in ways that allow us to expand our impact. 
um, that allow us to continue to, um, to demonstrate to not only to the members whom we do serve, but to the ecosystem as a whole and to the industry as a whole, that it is possible to do this differently and to do it better and to achieve all of the goals that we, similar, that we simultaneously want. So we pick our markets um, uh, based on where there is a population that we know we can impact, which happens to be everywhere. And based on our ability to, um, to contract with partners who share our values and see the opportunity to change outcomes for the populations whom they're accountable for. Um, and then of course, as with any growing business, um, we're constantly looking to, um, to, to improve our capability set, to grow the services we bring to the market, um, to grow with our existing partners in our existing markets and to continue to exceed their expectations even while we enter into new markets. And so figuring out that tension and that balance between continuing to grow where we are and entering new markets is something that we, you know, as a leadership team, we take on really seriously um, and consider those opportunities um, on a regular basis. You guys are so high touch and I love that about what you do. I want to know too, you know, in terms of, we talked about scaling into markets, but you know, when it comes to even just scaling the types of services or care that's provided to an individual, can you say anything about what might be on the horizon there? Like, I mean, you've mentioned a lot of the things that you guys do and it's, it's very well-rounded, but is there any, are there any opportunities that you see for growth in terms of improving the scaling up with any particular cohort of, of patients that you have or members that you have? or within one member, maybe getting them to improve just, you know, this percentage better in certain health um, outcome areas. Absolutely. You know, the way that we think about um, this is, is, you know, ultimately, this is why the, the value-based model is so compelling, right? Ultimately, our success is entirely predicated in our ability to build trust with, engage, and, and very importantly, drive better outcomes for the populations whom we serve. And so as an example, during the COVID pandemic, um, you know, our, we have large population of folks in, in Brooklyn, New York, um, was the epicenter of the pandemic right at the very beginning, more than a year ago now, um, when we saw that so many healthcare providers in the community were struggling to keep their doors open um, because they, the fee-for-service reimbursement was going through the floor, um, folks were getting sick, we knew that we had an ability because of the way we're funded, um, our capitated relationships, our value-based relationships, and because of the population we served, we had an, a, an obligation to, to totally shift the way that we deliver care. And so we very quickly stood up what we call our community rapid response program. We hired paramedics and EMTs, um, uh, equipped them with all of the equipment they would need to basically be urgent care in your home and dispatch them to our members where they could facilitate clinician-led visits um, uh, but also were hands-on at the bedside, taking care of people in their time of need with a suite of capabilities, um, IV fluids, antibiotics, um, uh, labs that we could draw all to just keep people safe and healthy. And so that's how we think about building and scaling our clinical capabilities. We look across our population, we ask ourselves what we're doing today, what our members need from us, and we start to test and innovate and launch new capabilities into the market. And so you know, I think you'll see more from us. Certainly, we're constantly in that phase of iteration. Um, nothing that I'm sort of ready to share today, but, but it suffice to say that our, our, our mandate is this population. Like we're building for these people exclusively, which means that we have all of the incentives and all of the opportunities we need to make sure that if there's another need to be met, we will be right there um, to, to meet that need with a clinical model or social care model or behavioral health model, depending on what the, what the need is. I love that. And I think, you know, what's interesting about what you say is like, I'm listening to you talk through this. It's like social care, value-based care, at risk, 
Medicaid population. It's like, those are usually not the things that end up attracting $500 million of investment. So what do you think that, that the investors that you, and the names that are on your cap table, holy cow. I mean, we're talking like, I mean, Tiger, we mentioned at the top, but I mean, Health Catalyst is in there. Thrive is in there. I mean, you guys have Maverick. I mean, there's a bunch of different, I mean, great investors that are on your cap table. What do you think has attracted them to city block. I mean, especially when it's like, oftentimes you'll hear in the chatter, it's like, oh God, there's no money to be made in Medicaid. So like, what, how do you like combat that? Like, what do you say back to that, Toyin? <laughs> well, fortunately we don't, we don't hear that as much as we used to. So the four years have, um, have really helped to solidify the idea that there is a sustainable and scalable business case um, for investing in these populations, which is, you know, that was like milestone number one for us as we launched our business in 2017 was to get to a place where we could, earn the right to have a seat at the table at the biggest sort of venture capital um, funded companies to really say that this is important and there's an opportunity to do well and do good and to scale a business that is going to meaningfully um, change the ecosystem. So um, so I don't get that question as often as I used to, thank goodness. <laughs> I, I yes. But I think the things that they see here are, you know, there's a massive, massive market. So, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I think as, as investors, when you're looking at a space and looking at it as an opportunity, you're looking first, is there, is there an opportunity? Is there a TAM? Um, is there something broken? Is there a problem that could be meaningfully solved? And then is this team and is this solution fit for purpose for this problem that they've identified? And so check on box one. There's a massive, massive market. It's a huge opportunity. And, and unlike many other products and services that people launch into big spaces, there are human beings who today would be suffering, who represent that TAM. Like, well, how compelling is that? Then you look at the next thing, is it is there something broken that we can fix? Well, absolutely. Because we know that our healthcare system is not working for these problems and for these people. The idea that you can sec separate the head from the body, from the social milieu and treat each one separately and pay for each service as though it was some sort of like a la carte menu at a fancy rest. Like none of that works for human beings who are a combination of their lived experience, their physical bodies, the ecosystem around them, the relationships that they're surrounded in. Like none of that works unless you think of humans as, as integrated and you deliver services that are integrated. And the market's broken because we pay way more for things that are low value and we totally undervalue things that are high value. We pay pennies on the dollar for behavioral health visits that could meaningfully change a person's life. And we way overspend on reactive care that doesn't actually improve outcomes. Um, and so perfect opportunity for disruption. That's exactly what you want. You want a problem with a solution and a real opportunity. And then I think finally, you know, we, we just happened to be so fortunate as to have a team with the experience in healthcare, experience in operations, experience in technology, um, come together at a moment in time where I think we presented a credible opportunity to actually change um, and address that that problem. And so um, it's been it's been really gratifying. I feel very, very fortunate to have been on this journey um, and to do so at the moment that we did, because I think I would be remiss if I didn't sort of pay tribute to this. There, there were a number of companies that preceded us in the value-based care space, right? And so um, that's a thesis that we know, at least in principle, can bear fruit it had been applied to Medicare Advantage and not to Medicaid, but at least the economics at a high level structure um, creates a framework for us to anchor the work that we do and to apply it to a population that has been much more difficult to serve, much more marginalized, where there's huge, huge, huge opportunities. All right, I'm asking the tough question. Are you ready? How defensible is this? What stops one of these big health plans that is contracting with you from just not contracting with you and instead like redeploying a couple hundred people to just go and do this themselves? Yeah, I mean... 
when you look, you've come, you spent time in health plans. Like, you know what they're good at. You know what they're working on. Um, this is not it. Um, <laughs> I, I say this with all, with all, you know, candor, kindness, and honesty, you know, when, when I say, when, when I get a phone call, so I still see patients, right? When I get a phone call from one of my members or a text message that says, uh, I'm really nervous. I don't know who to call. I just got an eviction letter. Um, what should I do? Or I just graduated um, with my associate's degree and I'm so proud of myself and I wanted you to see this picture or my cat died and I feel so lonesome. And you ask yourself, has anyone ever thought I'm going to call my health plan because I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight. What they do think is I might have to go to the emergency room because I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight, but they're not calling their health plan. That is not a trusted place to go to get your true holistic needs met. That's not what they're competent at. That's not the workforce they've built. That's not the culture they've built. That's not the um, uh, brand experience they seek to convey, right? We think about a phone call to our health plan and we think, oh my God, I got to set aside 45 minutes. It's going to be super frustrating. I'm going to have to talk to five different people and I'm going to be basically pleading for my right to get the services that I need. We need the total opposite experience where we are offering people opportunities and support to access the services that are going to change their lives and drive the outcomes that they themselves want to see totally different like service offering, different competency, different capability set. Um, and I think that, you know, frankly, I think the plans know that. And that is why we've had such great um, success and continue to have success in finding those partnerships where they can do what they're really good at. And we can do the things that we've built competencies around. All right. Last thing for you, Torian, I got to know. So you mentioned your background physician, working in Boston, working with these types of populations. The idea for City Block maybe comes to you as you're practicing there. Has it turned out so far to be what you wanted it to be? Or do you still have more work to do on your business as far as that goes? Yeah, we're still growing. I mean, um, you know, it is, it's incredible to think about how far we've come. And I'm, again, so grateful to have had this, this journey, right? Um, to go from knowing deep inside that things have to be different um, to getting to build clinical models that actually drive those types of outcomes to meeting um, Aya Ram, who became, you know, my co-founder, our CEO at CityBlock. Um, to moving to, to New York, to Brooklyn, to incubate this business at Sidewalk Labs and to meet, meeting our other co-founder, Bay, and bringing together technology and operations and healthcare services, um, uh, all the way through to where we are today, where we've proven out the beginning of this thesis, right? Um, but there's so much more to do. Our ambition is great. We want to really, really disrupt the ecosystem for people, for the majority of people, for the average person who's struggling today to get what they need, which means we have tons more to learn. We have tons more to test. And we have a real, real path ahead of us as well. I love it. We are so excited for you. I have to say that because I feel like everybody's been buzzy about City Block for years, like at least the last three years, especially. And, and it's exciting to see you guys really gain some traction, have some big dollars and some big names behind you and really start to grow um, and scale out into different parts of the country. So Toyan, thank you so much for dropping by and for filling us in. And I really have to say thank you. I appreciate you walking through your business model in the detail that you did. I feel like that, that is so helpful, I think, to um, a lot of people who might be watching who are, you know, familiar with managed Medicaid, but maybe not entirely sure how that works and just didn't understand what your model was. But so I really do appreciate you taking the time to walk us through that. Well, thank you for having me. All right, everybody, that is Dr. Toyan Ajayi, and she is the president and co-founder of City Block Health. For more interviews with the who's who of health tech as they are changing the way that we do healthcare, please check out my YouTube channel over there at youtube.com slash WTF Health. I'm Jessica Damasa. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk to you guys soon. Toyan, talk to you soon. Check back in with us. Bye. Bye. 
Hey, it's Jess. If you're looking for more news on what's going on in health tech, I've got another show airing on this channel called Health Tech Deals. In this one, famous healthcare curmudgeon Matthew Holt joins me twice a week to weigh in on the biggest funding deals, M&A activity, and exits in health tech. Just look for episodes labeled Health Tech Deals.